It has been an awesome week. Again, I appreciate how attentive you've been, and I'm looking forward to being in God's Word with you here again this evening. Appreciate the worship and song before. It makes it really easy to come up and, and open up God's Word as well. Tonight we're going to be talking about something serious. We really are on the subject of sin and, and the blessing of confessing versus the misery of covering. And no doubt when, when you think of, uh, of uh, the word sin, all kinds of different connotations come your way and, and uh, it's a lot easier for us to get upset about the sin in other lives instead of uh, being concerned about the sin in our own lives. But tonight as we open up God's word, I'm praying that he would do a work and tonight might be the start of something different, a different habit in your life. And instead of covering, that we would get in the habit of confessing and turning from that sin and turning it over to Christ and getting accountability and, 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 and building into our lives as Christians consistent victories in all those different sins and stuff that we struggle and battle with. And maybe that can start for you tonight. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we love you. God, we are so thankful. We, we really do believe that, that you are all to us, so would you empower us, God, to, to live that truth out? And Lord, tonight we come to you broken and in need of being mended, and, and Lord, I pray as we look at the subject of, of sin and, and the misery and the weight that is there when, when we hold on to those sinful habits and, and try to cover them up and lie and, and hope that nobody found, uh, finds out instead of the blessings and the freedom that comes from confessing and dragging that sin from darkness into the light so that it can be dealt with and so that we can be freed up and have that right relationship with you and enjoy life to the full, that bountiful life that is offered through Christ, God. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would do a work through your word this evening and that you would help us to see and help me to see again the foolishness that comes with being okay with sin versus pursuing that wonderful, bountiful life that can only be found in Christ. And it's in your son's name we can pray. Amen. Okay, it's Thursday, and uh, sometimes, yeah, this is like extinct. How many of you guys are still in a home that gets an actual physical copy of a newspaper? Raise your hand. You actually get a copy. Any adults in here, you, do you actually flip through and read the paper, just, just old people like me now, just old people, do you, you actually, you, you do a real physical paper, how many of you guys subscribe to some sort of digital magazine or newspaper, Wall Street Journal, comics, whatever it might be, okay, good for you, do you know what the most popular part of the newspaper is to read or scan through, what do you guys think it is, no, it's the obituaries, okay, that's good, it's the obituaries, 37% of all people say that when they get a newspaper or they get something online on their device, the first thing they flip to is the obituaries. I'm like, really? I mean, life's hard enough. I want something funny. I want the sports. You know, I want to flip through something there, but I thought it'd be good for us to go through some interesting obituaries tonight, okay? Are you ready as we get going to this? Stephen Merrill, 31, passed away February 12th due to an uppercut from Batman. They put that in the paper. That was a real one. I'm like, Okay. That's all right. That's tough. Batman's a strong guy, okay? This guy respectfully requests six Cleveland Browns pallbearers so the Browns can let him down one more time. <laughs> oh. Insert your own Iowa State joke there, okay? Look at this poor lady. Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, 
Marianne Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God. <laughs> That's a good choice. I saw that. I'm like, yeah, uh, I, I get that. I, I get that as well. Now, those are kind of lighthearted, and, and you kind of come through those. This, is, this next one is an actual obituary that was just in the paper, uh, not here locally in Iowa, not too long ago. Now, listen to this. We go from lighthearted to something like this. Puts her names up there. She was born in 1938. She married Dennis and all this fun stuff. Look at what it says below there. She abandoned her kids who were then raised by her parents. She passed away on May 31st, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by anybody and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Now listen to me very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. I'm not endorsing what they put here. The point is this. The actions and what you do in this life, there's consequences. And, and you don't get to choose who they affect, how it will affect them, but most of the choices that we make will affect people long after we're gone from this world. Do you agree with that? And so the reality of the matter is, well, again, this, this really isn't funny. It's a stark reminder that the decisions that we make really do have consequences. And I could read you a little backdrop because there's plenty more to the story there, but this woman lived an openly sinful life, abandoned her kids, and this is what's left of her memory. God wants you to know that there are consequences to sin. It's just reality. There's consequences. And, and some of them are, are obviously more serious than others, but the, the reality of the matter is usually we don't even think about those things when we're involved with, with some type of a decision or, or pursuing some sort of action that, that nobody else has, has to know about. There's lighthearted stuff. Last night, this is uh, Jason's little guy, Jet, and last night I'm over there in the, uh, in the retreat center, and I, I love kids, and his kids are over there in their room settling down, wink, wink, not settling down at all, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to go encourage them to go to bed, and out of nowhere, this guy comes with the plunger, Right? And he's got that crazy look in his eyes, you know, just like his dad would have, you know. And, and he comes over to me, and I'm like making fun talk with him, and he picks up that thing and whacks me in the face with it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, that's wonderful. Good to see you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's okay. And I walk away, and then Jill walks in, and, and she's like, sweetie, what are you doing at the plunger? And he's like, I cleaned out the potty. Good. And then I hit that bald guy in the face with it. Wonderful. You know what? I chose to go in there. I saw he had a plunger, and I chose to hang around. And we can laugh around about that, right? But most consequences are a little more serious than that, and they go far beyond something like this. But the reality of the matter is, is in the heat of the moment, or whatever it might be in our lives, we get to the point where we kind of become numb to the decisions that we've chosen to continually make. And eventually it becomes easier for us to try and hide those things in our lives than to deal with them. We're going to look tonight at the story of the life of King Bosch, and it's not going to be super long. I know it's famous last words. We should be out here by 10 o'clock, no later. But as we look at this, I want you to see, as we look at three characteristics uh, of, of sin, of the consequences of sin, what can we relate to, and, and what is going on in my life? Here's what I'd like to ask you to do. You've got your pen out. You've got a piece of paper there. You've got your notebook. What's the first thing that comes to your mind and heart? What's the first thing that comes to your mind and heart when you think of, of something in your life that you know needs to be dealt with before it deals with you? 
What is it? What is it that mom and dad don't know? What is it that your closest friends, and yes, you've got close Christian friends, but man, you're, you're so thankful, thankful in quotations, that nobody else knows that this is what's really going on in your life and your heart right now. And as you think about that, and we think about the characteristics of the consequences of sin versus the joy, the joy that is there when we confess, repent, and we turn from those sins, and, and, and we turn from Christ, and, and we just say, God, I, I need your forgiveness here, and, and we pursue accountability with someone who loves you, who trusts you, and then you get the, the joy of experiencing that abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10. I came to give you life and life to the full. So the question is, what life are you experiencing right now? And the reality of the matter is, is, is if we're choosing to muddle around in sin and then take that next step and make sure that no one ever finds out about it, right? We don't want anybody to find out we're struggling with something. You are choosing to forfeit the pleasures and the joy that comes from having an awesome walk with Jesus Christ. Open up your Bibles if you haven't already to 1 Kings. We'll give you a little background here. You've got Saul, right? And then David and Solomon. And then the kingdom is divided. It splits. And in the north, there on the left, you've got Jeroboam. And then Nadab there. And then you've got the guy we're going to be talking about tonight, King Basha. And in the right, you've got the southern kings, uh, or tribes of Judah there. But we're not really far into the, uh, the split here. And this guy is going to come onto the scene, okay? But in 1 Kings uh, chapter 15, verses 25 here, it says, Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. Verse 26 in 1 Kings chapter 15 says this, He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father and his sin, which he made Israel to sin. In other words, he was leading a whole nation into sin as well. But Baasha, the son of Ahijah, over the house of Issachar, conspired against him, conspired against him. And Baasha struck him down at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. For Nadab and all Israel were laying siege. Now they're, they're in the middle of a military campaign. So he was probably some type of military commander that was there, okay? And he took advantage of the situation, and he conspired against him, and he murdered him. Why did he murder him? Well, in verse 20, uh, 20, 28, it says, He killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and then he reigned in his place. He wanted to be king. And as soon as he was king, listen, and the idea is there's this immediacy here. It's like while he was still taking the throne, what did he do? Well, he did this. He killed all the house of Jeroboam. He left to the house of Jeroboam not one that breathed until he had destroyed it according to the word of the Lord. God predicted this was going to happen as a judgment on Jeroboam. He didn't say he was going to do it. He just said it was going to come to pass. Now, King Basha didn't do it for the right reasons. It said he conspired. In other words, man, he, he was wheeling and dealing in his mind and his heart, and so he did this, and he, he didn't do it in light of, hey, I think this is going to be pleasing to God, and I'm going to take care of this sinful person. He did it because he wanted to take the throne. And so he did it. He conspired. He's there, probably had his trust as some type of military commander, and he murders him. And then he takes care of all his family as well. And we skip down here in verse 34, and it says this, He did what was evil. Then the new king Basha does what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin in which he made Israel to sin. 16.2 says this, Since I exalted you out of the dust and made you leader over my people, Israel, this is God, since I exalted you, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel to sin, provoking me to anger with their sins, behold, I will utterly sweep away Basha and his house, and I will make your house 
like the house of who? Jeroboam. That guy that, you know, you killed his offspring. There anyone belonging to Basha who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens shall eat. So here we now to see some of these consequences because of the sinful choices that he has made. And, and we see here again the context of your sin is not an excuse. Yes, God had said this is going to happen, but he didn't say he was going to do it or command this guy to do it. He did it for the wrong reasons. And sometimes we like to blame our circumstances and say, well, if I wouldn't have been here or done that, or if this person wouldn't have done this against me, I would have never done this, but so-and-so, right? I mean, they were there and this and that, and, and then your parents say something loving like this. If he would have jumped off a bridge, right, would you have done it too? But the context of our sin isn't an excuse. So characteristic number one this evening is simply this. We don't get to choose the timing of our consequences. So we saw the choices. Now let's see the consequences for our sin. Now we obviously, we read what some of those were going to be. But now we see here quickly that we don't get to choose the timing of those consequences. We don't get to choose when these things happen. 1 Kings 15, 27 to 29. It says that he, he conspires against him. He kills him. But he still becomes king. And, and as soon as he is king, he immediately lays waste to all of his offspring. So he murders him. But he still assumes the throne, and he's still going to reign for 24 years. I mean, God must be okay with what he has done because he is still the king, and he's going to be the king for 24 years. That's longer than any of you campers have been alive, maybe twice as long as you've been alive. So God must be okay with it, right? I mean, look at what he's allowed to happen, and look at what he did. Not only did he murder a, a king, he, he murdered his entire offspring and family. And then he goes on to sit on the throne for 24 years. And I, and I think sometimes in, in our hearts and in our lives, we justify what we do and say, man, if God wasn't, if he wasn't really okay with this, somebody would have found out by now, right? I mean, if it was that big of a deal, surely something would have happened by now or it would have been drug out. Or, but I, I mean, God's probably cool with this. He must be okay with this. But the reality of the matter is we don't get to choose the timing of our consequence, and if you read on there in 1 Kings 16, we're going to see that after he has died and his son takes the throne, that's when the full ramification of his choices really come full circle. He's not even alive anymore. It's years and years and years after the sin took place. And, and those around him that are closest to him are going to feel the full weight of the consequences of his actions. Don't think that just because of, uh, some time has gone by, a few weeks, a few months, maybe a couple years of struggling with whatever it is that you might be struggling with, that God is okay with it somehow. Because we don't get to choose the timing of our consequences. This is an evil person up here. When the suspected Golden State Killer drove into a Hobby Lobby parking lot in April, this past April, investigators were waiting nearby as he walked into the craft store. It gave them a perfect chance to collect a secret DNA sample. Police swabbed the driver's side handle of Joseph James D'Angelo's car, according to arrest and search, search warrants released last Friday. This was June 2nd of this year. He was called the Golden State Killer. He committed over 60 terrible crimes in California from 1976 to 1986, and they could not figure out who did it. And you got to be thinking at this time, I mean, all these years have gone by. I'm sure he's going to be okay. In 1979, he was fired from his law enforcement job. And so he, he lived what appeared to be a quiet life. 
He worked as a mechanic at the distribution center of a Modesto-based supermarket chain for 27 years, right? And, and if you're this person, what are you thinking? I did all these things, and I got away with it. And I'm just going to go live my life and ride off into the sunset. Neighbors said he kept mostly to himself, but sometimes yelled at people who got too close to his fence. But they said he'd become reclusant in, in recent years. And now all these years later, 30 plus years later, the ramifications of the consequences of his actions finally come full circle. And the reality of the matter is, is we don't know what God has and how he's going to, because those he loves, he chastens. And for those of us that you're a believer in Christ and you're choosing to live in a certain way and to hide this and, and to try and justify it and go, we don't know when God's going to say, okay, you know what? I love you too much to let this go unnoticed. And there's too much riding at stake, and, and, and there's too much at stake, including the glory of my name. And so I'm going to step in, and, and I'm going to bring this into the light because I love you. And don't think just because some time has gone on that God is okay with that sin. Characteristic number two is we don't get to choose the severity of our consequences. We don't get to choose the timing of it, and we don't get to choose the severity of it. That's out of our hand. The choice to sin, sure, we, we, you know, we've chosen that, but then how harsh those consequences are, we don't get to choose that. 1 Kings 16, 1 through 4, says, When the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of uh, Hanani, against Basha, saying, Since I exalted you out of the dust and made you leader over my people Israel, and you have chosen to walk in the way of Jeroboam, and you've also made my people Israel to sin. You've led an entire nation in sin, provoking me to anger with their sins. Now behold, I will utterly sweep away Basha and his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam. So there's going to be death for sure. And then there's also going to be murder. Read on there again and as we go in uh, later on in verse 11 of 1 Kings 16. He says, when his son began to reign, as soon as he had seated himself on his throne, he struck down all the house of Basha, and he did not leave him a single male of his relatives, the murderer of his son. He didn't leave him a male of his relatives or of his friends. And you got to think to yourself, man, I'd like to think somebody, anybody, if they knew what they were doing was going to lead to the death of their son, their relatives, and even friends of their relatives, but that might be cause for them to pause and think, okay, <laughs> is this really worth it? Is this really going to be worth it when, when the ramifications of these choices and the ripple effect, that little rock that you throw out in the pond, and, and all of a sudden the ripples go far beyond just where that rock hit, and then you realize that, man, those consequences are a lot more far-reaching than I would have ever anticipated or chosen that maybe it would cause some of us to stop and give pause. And so often, what do we think? This isn't a big deal. It's just a little thing right now, right? I mean, I'm 12 or 13, and yes, I struggle a little bit with, with my thought life and the things that I allow to come into my mind and my heart through what I look at. And yeah, I struggle a little bit with how I treat people. And, and yes, there's some things in a relationship I'm with that aren't super healthy, but what's the big deal? And then all of a sudden, it starts to snowball. And what we don't do is look down the road uh, uh, three weeks or three months or three years or six years and see 
the far-reaching consequences of our actions. I love a good campfire. I really do. Uh, I, I love uh, where I grew up. My dad was here last night. He's a funny guy. And uh, he was reminding me of some shenanigans from when uh, I was younger. But we, we loved campfires, and we grew up on an acreage within a farm. And uh, we would often go out, and um, you had to be careful, though, right? Especially when it's really dry. But we would put big rocks around them and then, you know, all that fun stuff. We were super safe. But this part of the country, we're not really used to major, major fires uh, like they have out west. But uh, look at this story from two summers ago. A devastating coastal California wildfire that's destroyed 57 homes and caused the death of a bulldozer driver was sparked by a single illegal campfire, authorities said Tuesday, as they asked for help finding the culprit. Whoever built and then abandoned the fire around July 22nd in a state park could and should face criminal and civil penalties for sparking the blaze, which has now burned more than 43,000 acres. Authorities say hikers who reported the fire had to first climb up a ridge to get mobile phone reception. So from this little campfire, right, that was left unattended and not dealt with, comes 43,000 acres of total destruction, including the loss of a life. And this is a satellite photo of the smoke over Northern California. Isn't that amazing? From one little illegal campfire. And it only takes one click. It only takes one poor choice. It only takes whatever sin it is that you think, man, it's just not that big of a deal to go unchecked, to snowball into a massive big deal that has far-reaching consequences. That's why we got to take sin seriously. If we don't get a hold of it, and, and if, if you don't get a victory now, what's that going to look like in five years? What's that going to do to a marriage? What's that going to do to our kids? What's that going to do to a church? Characteristic number three is we don't get to choose who is affected by our consequences. We do not get to choose who is affected by our consequences. If you go back here to 1 Kings 16, 8, right? 1 Kings 16, 8. It says, in the 26th year of, of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Basha. Remember, this is who made all these poor decisions. Well, murdered a sitting king, murdered his offspring so he could take over, and then there's judgment pronounced against him. Now his son has replaced him on the throne, but we know what was prophesied. And he, he began to reign in Israel. And he reigned two years, but his servant Zimri, commander of half of his chariots, conspired against him. Does that sound familiar? Man, it's just what his dad had done. He conspired against a sitting king. And while he was at Tizra drinking himself drunk, and the idea that it's a very interesting play on words here, he was hammered. So not only is he fallen in the sins of his father, he's added a new sin, and he is just completely plastered drunk here, Okay. And it says, while he is there, drinking himself continually drunk, Arza, who was over the house, uh, in the house of Arza, who was over the household in Tizra, Zimri came in and struck him down and killed him in the 27th year. This is his son. He kills his son. He's murdered. And then when he, this new guy began to reign, and it's the same play on words. The idea is, while he was assuming the reign, he has just murdered his son, and while he's assuming the throne, he goes on a rampage. He strikes down all the house of Basha. He did not even leave him a single male of his relatives 
and he goes a step further, or his friends. It's that ripple effect, right? You choose to do X, Y, and Z, thinking I, I'm just, it's just me who's affected, but guys, you have to understand, you never sin to yourself. It's, it's never just you, that's selfish thinking. It's, it's a corrupt way of viewing things, and that's what happens, though, when we allow sin uh, to start to take control of our choices and our habits, but you will never, ever, ever, ever be the only one affected. We will never be the only ones affected by our sinful choices, and I'm sure there's lots of us that could tell stories and, and give voice to that, but that's the reality of the matter. And so now, because of this one person's choices, his sinful choices, the rock is thrown out into the pond, and the ripples start to go out. And can you imagine God's judgment coming on you in the form of taking the life of your son? And not just there, it's not just going to be your son, someone presumably that you're very close with. It's going to be all your male relatives and then all of their friends are going to be taken. Their lives are going to be taken as well. You see, we don't get to choose the timing of our consequences. You do not get to choose the severity of your consequences. And you do not get to choose who is affected by your consequences. But I can promise you this. It's never just going to be you. It will never, ever just be you. And the longer sin goes unconfessed, the bigger <laughs> the ripple in the pond is because there's more people involved. And you say, Mark, this thing isn't a big deal. Well, we looked at that. It's like that little campfire. What happens when you drag that sin into uh, a marriage? What, what, what happens when you, you drag that sin, uh, and not just to a marriage, but now a family with kids? What happens uh, now that and you become a leader in a church and of a ministry or at your job, whatever it might be, and now there's all these other different people that you're very, very responsible for. You could look back and say, man, I had an opportunity to have a victory way back here, and all of these things could have been prevented. This is one of the most amazing things to me. Uh, this is a few years ago now, back in 2012. There was an Italian cruise ship called the Costa Concordia, and uh, listen to this, it's captain at the time. The ship was carrying more than 4,200 passengers and crew, and it slammed into a reef back in 2012 after the captain made an unauthorized detour from the ship's programmed route. A recording of his conversation with the Italian Coast Guard shows that he left, not only that, then he left the ship before all the passengers were off and resisted repeated orders to go back, saying the ship was tipping and it was dark. Duh, of course it was. You're the moron that ran it into a reef. He said he, in, listen to this, he said he ended up in the life raft after he tripped and fell into the water. You can do better than that. This is what the ship looked like. Because of one captain choosing to go on an unauthorized route, 4,200 people trapped in a cruise ship had to find their way out through the dark, murky waters. Now, the reality of the matter is, is that 4,200 people did not make their way out in the dark, murky waters. And many did survive, but many did not. And the reason that they lost their lives that day is because one person decided to do what he knew was unauthorized. And while the people were sitting there saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't take this route, he chose to do so anyways 
And this is the result. And you know, there's probably people in your life that are saying, whoa, what are you doing? Where are you going? Because sometimes with our sin, we think that nobody else knows. There's probably some people in your life that realize that, man, there's some red flags that are starting to pop up. And they're saying, man, you're taking an unauthorized route. And there is disaster straight ahead. But the problem with that disaster and that unauthorized route is you won't be the only one that's affected. And we cannot choose and know even the full extent of who will be affected by the consequences of our actions. But you know what? You don't have to end up shipwrecked. There is another way. And Paul says, you know, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's my flesh. I know I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry out. For I don't do the good that I want, but the evil I do, that's what I keep on doing. He says, man, there's this struggle. There's this battle within me. And so how can I have victory? And he goes on to say, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where our victory is found. 1 Corinthians 10, 2, not only can we have victory, we don't have to think, man, am I the only one that's struggling? Paul was struggling there with, with, with sin in his life. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, that same person, though, says this, there's no temptation that's overtaking you except that which is very common. You're not going to be the only one in here tonight that's struggling with whatever it is that you're struggling with. There's probably a whole group of people that would raise their hands and tearfully say, yes, me too. I'm sick and tired of it, but yes, I continually give in to this, and oh, I feel like I'm the only one. You're not. He says that there's no temptation except that's what's very common, but God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what your ability will allow you to bear. But with the temptation, he's going to provide you a way of escape. You can have victory. That you can, you can endure it. You can have victory. You don't have to sit there in the, the grossness of sin and think, oh, you've been set free from sin. And you can be instead a slave of righteousness. And you can consistently do what's right because of who Christ is. And as the Spirit of God works through the word of God, it can empower you to have victory and do the will of God for his glory. But I'm going to ask you, what, what life are you experiencing right now? Uh, we had a, a creek that went through timber in our, in our backyard, in our home growing up, and we would often go down there, and there was minnows, and we'd throw fish in there, but it was so shallow that when we would put those fish in there in the winter, the ice would freeze up, and what would happen to the fish? They're you know, awkwardly looking at you as you walk over the ice, dead. But uh, in the spring, we like to go down there when those first few hot days and, and, and play in the water. Now, it was tile-fed. Across the gravel road from us was, was a 160-acre cornfield that, that we had, and uh, we would turn the cows loose in that cornfield, right? And they would eat, drink, and be merry, and they would do what cows do when they're eating and drinking and being merry, and then all that would flow into a little waterway in the field, right? And then it would go under the road, and it would go, what? That's what fed our tile-fed creek, right? And it would make all these bubbles come from all the chemicals and all the waste. There would be all, you guys know what I'm talking about? Any farm kids in here? Come on, I see those hands. And there would just be stacks of bubbles. I'm talking four or five feet high. And when I was a young kid, I went down there with my brother, and I was like, look at all this. This is awesome. I took my shirt off, and I jumped right in. Woohoo, bubbles! And I'm I, no kidding. I'm just having the time of my life. And I'm like, Nate, you got to get in here. Nathan jumps in. Woohoo! This is awesome. My dad pulls in the driveway. He was here, and you know, 
you can kind of look down. It was a ways down in there, and he pulls up, and we come into the house. We're just soaking wet, and he's like, hey, where you guys been? <coughs> Excuse me. We're like, well, went down at the creek. He's like, no kidding. He's like, what you been doing? Well, you know what, Dad? It was so hot, and we jumped in, and, and we put the water everywhere, and he's like, have you, have you smelled yourselves? I was like, oh, no, we're having too much. Oh, man, that reeks. He's like, yeah, do you know what that is? No, I just, I mean, it's creek water. He's like, no, that, that's poo water. There's a hundred head of cattle across the road. And all of that has been flowing down to that waterway. And you're, you're washing yourselves in this stuff. And the laughter turns to tears as you realize you just took a submerged bath in gross, disgusting water. But man, while you're in it, you're having the time of your life. And then I remember the first day I took 50 cents with me to a school bus in Bondurant and rode to the Altoona public pool, which is basically a box with water, but it was clean water. And I got my Mr. T swimming trunks out and my Mr. T towel and my four foot six, 37 pound frame, and I jumped into the cleanest, most chlorinest water ever, and I thought I, I could see the bottom. Man, I'm swimming around, living it up, and I'm like, where has this been all my life? It was amazing. It was clean water. And, and I thought I was having so much fun over here, and it was filthy and disgusting. But it wasn't until I just got to experience a regular pool that I realized how much I'd been missing out on. And you know what? For a time, when you're swimming around in sin, and you think that you're experiencing life, and, and sin is pleasurable for what? For a season. But then when you stop and you realize what you're covered in, and, and, and you smell it, and you see it for what it is, and then you finally confess and repent, and you come over here, and you get to finally really experience what an actual walk with Christ looks like. And you get to experience, I mean it, the joy, and, and, and what happens when you actually get to personally experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ offers, I'm telling you what, it'll be a lot harder for you to go back to that disgusting, murky water and think it's okay. Character is what you are in the dark. That's the real you when nobody's around and it's just you and the computer and it's just you and your friends, it's just you and whoever it is or just you. That's the real you. And if you're covering sin, let me, let me tell you what you're missing out on. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. But in verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning. There's a heaviness there. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer, but I acknowledged my sin to you. And then I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave my sins. Therefore, let everybody who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. And that time could, for you could very well be tonight. Because the reality of the matter is this. Whoever conceals his transgressions, you're not going to prosper. And there's not going to be joy there. But if you confess and forsake them, you're going to find mercy. And then you can turn to John 10, 10 and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now I'm finally experiencing the life that you came, the abundant life, that life that he offers to all. Yes, eternal life, but you can also have joy in this life that he offers right now. What life are you experiencing right now?
What sin is there that needs to be dealt with? 